Son is given, and the government will be upon His shoulder, and His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever." The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, again today as we gather together in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We glorify your holy name. And Lord, we uh, come with hearts filled with gratitude for the opportunity to worship the Lord, to study the, the Word of God, the timeless truth that has been given to us. Today, Father, meeting in a world that is filled with strife and conflict, as it has been for thousands of years, we look to your word with a message of hope, hope of peace, peace coming through the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus. Today, Father, as we reflect on that peace that is ours through Jesus, we pray that it will find a home in our hearts and help us to spread that news of peace to others around us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. How many of you would agree with me that our world is in need of peace? (laughs) It seems that in this fallen world, our culture, our society is dominated by chaos and conflict. There's a lack of peace in relationships. There's a lack of peace between nations. There's a lack of peace in many marriages, a lack of peace in families. There's a lack of peace of mind in the hearts of many people. Peace is elusive. It's fleeting. Peace is in short supply. It's sorely needed. And that's nothing new. In fact, one scholar investigating peace throughout world history has concluded that in the last 3,500 years, there has been less than 300 years of peace. 3,200 years of conflict and war. In fact, 2,700 years ago when these words of Isaiah were spoken, they were spoken in a world that was war-torn and weary. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Beautiful words of hope, beautiful words that are often quoted at this Christmas time of the year. But these words that were originally spoken by the prophet Isaiah were given 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah's prophecy spoke about the coming of the Messiah. This was one who would deliver God's people, free the children of Israel from their enemies, establish peace not only in the region, But this was one who would establish global peace. He was, after all, the Prince of Peace. It's an inspiring prophecy that was given to the people of God at a time when they sorely needed hope. They were living in a time of great distress. In fact, about 200 years before Isaiah stood to give this prophecy, the people of God entered into a civil war. It split the nation. And Israel was now comprised of the ten northern tribes and the 
Two tribes that were left out of that, Benjamin and Judah, were the southern, the southern tribes. Israel was experiencing great turmoil as Syria had invaded Judah. 120,000 were killed. 200,000 were carried away captive. Judah was being led by a wicked king by the name of Ahaz at the time. And Ahaz struck a deal, an alliance with Assyria. And Assyria conquered Israel. But that left Judah as a vassal of Assyria for the next hundred years. They were desperate times. Distressing times for the people of Judah. The children of Israel were vacillating in their commitment to God. They had a cycle that they kept repeating over and over and over again. A cycle that began with obedience. Obedience that led to prosperity. But in the midst of prosperity, they would turn their hearts from God and begin to engage in idolatry. Idolatry would result in judgment. Judgment would drive them to repentance. And then coming out of that repentance, they would obey the Lord. And out of that obedience to the Lord, God would prosper them. And in the midst of the prosperity, they would turn their hearts from God and back to idols. And God would judge them. And they would repent. And then they would obey. And then they would turn their hearts once prosperity began to flow their way once again. And this cycle repeated over and over again. To make matters worse, they would have a righteous king that would lead them in the ways of the Lord, only to be followed by a wicked king who would once again establish the high places and return Israel to idolatry. And judgment would come. And God would raise up another righteous king and He would turn the people's hearts back toward the Lord. And the cycle repeated over and over and over again ad nauseum. Finally, God's patience ran out. In 722 B.C., God allowed Israel to defeat the northern kingdom. And you would think that the southern kingdom would see the writing on the wall. But they did not. Twenty years later, in 701 B.C., God allowed Israel to invade Judah. They laid siege to 46 cities. They surrounded Jerusalem. Fortunately, by the grace of God, there was a righteous king in Judah at that time. His name was Hezekiah. He sued for terms of peace. And the wicked Sennacherib told him, give me 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold and I will give you peace. And so Hezekiah reluctantly took from the treasury the gold. He took from the temple doors the gold. He took from the pillars of the temple the gold. He turned them over to Sennacherib. And Sennacherib lied to him and sent him a letter threatening him in so many words, you can either do this the easy way or the hard way. Come out with your hands up. Hezekiah took that letter to the temple. He spread it out before the Lord and he sought the face of God. And the word of God broke through. Hallelujah. 
We serve a God who breaks through with His Word in the darkest of hours. Isaiah the prophet gave a prophecy to Hezekiah. It's found in Isaiah chapter 37. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. That night, according to the Jewish Midrash, was Passover. That night, the angel of the Lord visited the Assyrian army and in one night slew 185,000 enemy combatants so that the survivors awoke the next morning in a sea of corpses. And wicked Sennacherib high-tailed it back to Nineveh because there is a God in Israel who hears and answers prayer. God provided deliverance for His people and yet their sorrow and distress was great. You see, when Assyria attacked Judah, Scores of people were killed. 200,000 were carried away in captivity. Sons and daughters were lost. Families were decimated and broken up. It was a time of great distress. A time that was marked by chaos and conflict. A time of divine judgment. The people of God had been disobedient. They had engaged in gross idolatry. Ahaz, the wicked king, had gone as far as offering one of his sons to pass through the fire. He sacrificed him to a pagan idol. They turned their backs on God. They had forgotten the word of the Lord, and they had forgotten the Lord who loved them. The Lord who had delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. But listen. In the midst of their heartache and and desperation, the God that they had forgotten remembered them. (laughs) Because our God is faithful. Can you say amen? He heard their cries. He spoke through the mouth of His prophet words of healing and hope. And in the midst of their chaos and conflict, The Word of God broke through with a message of blessing and a message of peace. Looking to the future, Isaiah prophesied the coming of Messiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on His shoulder. Hallelujah. The Lord spoke through His prophet beautiful words of hope, Beautiful words of comfort. A message of blessing that was sorely needed. For the days of Israel were troubled. And the days of Israel's trouble had just begun. After those blessed words were uttered, there would come seven long centuries of chaos. Seven long centuries of confusion. 
The Jews rebelled against God and continued to engage in idolatry. And so finally God raised up Babylon to judge his people. They invaded Judah not once, not twice, but three times. Babylon laid siege to Jerusalem. She broke down its walls and destroyed the temple. For 70 years, the Jews were in captivity in Babylon. 70 years. Their hearts yearned to return to Jerusalem. They remembered the beauty of David's city. They remembered the glory of the temple. They remembered the word of God. Before all of this took place, Isaiah had something else to say to them. His words are recorded in the Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their sins, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Can you hear the heart of God as it breaks? For he knew the trouble that was coming upon Jacob. In the dark night of captivity, the people of God began to pray. The people of God repented of their sin. They humbled themselves and sought the face of the Most High. And after seven long decades, God answered their prayers. The Word of God broke through. This time, the word of God came in the form of a message to a wicked pagan ruler. His name, Belshazzar. He was the king of Babylon. He was having a great feast for a thousand of his religious and political leaders. They were celebrating their victory and the glory of Babylon. In the midst of his celebration, he called for the sacred vessels to be brought. These were the sacred vessels that had been captured, had been stolen from the temple of Jerusalem. They brought the sacred temples and he served his guests wine in the sacred vessels of the God of Abraham. And as they sat there feasting and glorying in their blasphemous victory, the Bible says supernaturally, the hand of a man appeared and began to write a message on the wall of the palace. Mene, mene, tekel, a parson. And the king's heart was troubled. And so he sent for the soothsayers and the wizards of Babylon to come and to interpret what does this message mean. The soothsayers and the wizards of Babylon were dumbstruck. They had no idea what it meant. They were God-smacked. And so they sent for Daniel, the Jew, the prophet who was being held captive in Babylon. There was a man who knew how to interpret dreams. And so Daniel came and he looked at these words and he said, numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. And then he gave the interpretation. He said to Belshazzar, God has numbered your kingdom and it is 
finished. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And the Bible says that on that very night, Belshazzar was slain. There's a God in heaven who hears and answers prayer. But God was not finished answering His people's prayer. Immediately after assuming power, the king of Persia freed the Jews. He actively assisted God's people in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. This Persian liberation was prophesied before Persia was a world power. The prophet foretold the events and called the Persian ruler by name 150 years before the man was born. Don't let anyone ever fool you. The Bible is in a league all of its own. Isaiah 44 and 28 records the prophecy. It says there, Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. A prophecy given 150 years before Cyrus was born. So who is this Cyrus? Cyrus is the king of Persia, the leader that God used to free his people and restore Jerusalem and the temple. Cyrus' decree releasing the Jewish people in fulfillment of prophecy is recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, beginning in verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. King Cyrus, the Persian monarch, actively assisted God's people in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. He restored the temple treasures to Jerusalem and he paid for the building expenses from the Persian royal treasury. There is a God in Israel who hears and answers prayer. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of David. The God of who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen? Judah continued under the rule of Persia until 332 B.C. That's when Alexander the Great visited the holy city. Two years earlier, Alexander had began his takeover of Asia Minor. In just a few short years, he defeated the Persian Empire, which by this time was 200 years old. His conquest also was foretold by a prophet in Israel. This one, Daniel, 250 years before it began. But by the time of Jesus' birth, Judah was under another landlord. The Romans had deposed the Greeks. 
Think of it. The land of Judah had been governed by the Jews, by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Greeks, and now by the Romans. It was a time of chaos, to say the least. A time of confusion for the people of God. A time of conflict. The average citizen didn't know when some marauding army was going to invade, when his village would be plundered, when his home or his business would be seized or destroyed. Imagine living in Judah during this time. Massive wars were being waged all around you. Great empires were rising and falling, and your city was occupied by foreign troops. If there was ever a time when the people of God needed a word of hope, needed a word of peace, needed a word of comfort, that was the time. But I'm happy to tell you this morning that we serve a God who comforts His people in all of their afflictions. He speaks words of peace and words of hope, and His word breaks through. Can you say amen? Even before the cataclysmic changes took place, God encouraged His people by the words of His prophets. You see, just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, God spoke through the prophets saying, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You see, God knew the trouble that was coming upon His people. And He knew they were going to need a word of hope, a word of comfort, a word of peace to see them through the dark days ahead. As the battles raged around Israel, the people of God remembered the promises of God. In their darkest hours, the people recalled the words of the prophets of old. For 700 lingering years, they rehearsed the oracles of God. They reminded each other, we serve a God who delivered us from Pharaoh. We serve a God who has promised that a righteous branch will come from the stump of Jesse, one who will deliver us once again. This messianic promise saw them through the confusion and the chaos and the conflict that was raging in their world. They were living in fear, living in darkness. Their days were filled with distress. And what made matters even worse is that the last 400 years of this time, there was no prophet in the land. 400 years of silence. Just when it seemed that all hope was gone. Just when it looked like things would never improve. Once again, the Word of God broke through. You see, the Word of God had broken through in times past through the prophets of old. The Word of God broke through when a hand appeared and wrote on the palace wall of a pagan king. The Word of God even came one time through the mouth of a donkey. The Word of God broke through. But this time it came by way of angelic messenger. 
was given to lowly shepherds who were tending their flocks just outside of Bethlehem. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And the 700 years were over. And the prophecy was fulfilled. The prophecy of peace. Peace to the people of God. Comfort, yes, comfort my people. The Lord had said all of those years before. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. This was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. A prophecy given seven centuries earlier. A prophecy foretelling the birth of Messiah, assuring them one would arise whom was called the Prince of Peace. And upon his shoulders the government would rest. And of the increase of his kingdom and upon the throne of David, his rule would never end. Can you say amen? Peace. Exactly what the people of God needed. They'd been living in a war zone for a thousand years. Living in captivity for hundreds of years. Estranged from God for much of that dark period. Peace was exactly what the people of God needed. And peace is what Jesus would bring. A peace that would address the deepest needs of the human heart. You see, Jesus would make it possible for people to be at peace with God, to have peace of mind, and to live at peace with each other. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Jesus, Messiah. Jesus, the Anointed One. Jesus is the one who was sent to preach peace to the poor. He was sent to heal the brokenhearted. He was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison doors to those who were bound. He is the Prince of Peace, the one who makes it possible for us to have a rich, meaningful, comprehensive peace. For without the Prince of Peace, there can be no peace. Peace comes through Christ. And the peace that he gives is a spiritual peace, a supernatural peace, a peace that is marked by three traits, peace with God, peace of mind, peace with others. Well, before his ascension, Jesus promised the gift of peace to his disciples. In John 14, 27, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is the peace 
of the Lord. The peace given by the Prince of Peace. Friends, this is the kind of peace that you can have when you are in such darkness you can't see the whites of your hands in front of your face. A peace that will see you through the deepest, darkest night. A supernatural peace. So the first characteristic of this supernatural peace, it is peace with God. Paul talks about this in Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. How many of you know in the Bible prepositions are important? (laughs) Peace with God. Peace with God. It's an objective peace, this peace with God. Not a subjective peace, not a peace inside you. It's an objective peace, a peace that describes your relationship with God. Having been justified by faith through Christ, you have peace with God. In other words, you are at peace with God. Amen. Right now, if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been justified and you have peace with God right now. You don't have to wait until you are walking streets of gold. You don't have to wait until you slip beyond the veil of death. You don't have to wait until you cross over the Jordan. You have peace with God now through the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been justified with with all of the saints of all of the ages through the precious blood of God's Son. And because of His sacrifice, you have peace with God now. Can you say amen? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I am at peace with God. At peace with God. That peace has been made a reality through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't say, Well, it's almost over. He said, It is finished. Hallelujah. There is nothing that you or I can do to add in any sense to that precious sacrifice of God's own Son. The death of Jesus Christ is fully sufficient for our salvation. Can you say amen? We are fully set free and justified by the power of His blood justified through the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we are at peace with God. This is why Paul refers to the gospel as the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Peace with God. Not a subjective experience, but an objective reality. That objective reality of peace is ours. But listen, that objective reality of peace provides for a subjective experience of peace. And that's the second trait of this supernatural peace. Not only do we have peace with God, we have peace of mind. 
You see, you cannot have true and lasting peace of mind until you first of all have peace with God. Why? <laughs> because you are created in God's image. And one of the ways that you reflect God's image is that He has stamped you and filled you with a conscience so that when you are going the wrong way and you are not living in obedience to His Word and you're not even a Christian yet, your conscience plagues you and tells you what you're about to do is wrong. And you know it. And you can't justify what you're about to do. And you can't even explain it. But you know it's wrong. So you cannot have peace with a uh, peace of mind until you first of all get your business fixed. <laughs> until you first of all come to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ and have peace with God. And now that I have peace with God, I have peace of mind. The objective peace with God has created an experiential subjective peace of mind. And so I have a peace which surpasses all understanding. Now it's one thing to be at peace on Sunday morning here at worship service. We're singing the praises of God, thinking about heavenly things, reflecting on the goodness of the Lord. But how do you maintain peace when your world is falling apart? How do you maintain peace when everything is coming apart at the seams? Live long enough and that will happen to you. I'm not here to tell you that you're here to have your best life now because guess what? You're not. In fact, the only way this can be your best life now is if you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, then yeah, this is your best life now. But if you're a Christian, this is your worst life now. Your worst. And yet you can still enjoy peace of mind even in the darkest night because our God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. And then when you draw your last breath here, your next breath will be drawn in the very arms of God. Be the fastest journey you've ever taken. For to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. But it's one thing to be at peace on Sunday morning. It's another thing to have peace when your world's falling apart. So how do you maintain that peace? Well, you, may, you maintain it by remembering God is in control. Our God is in control. One of the reasons that I took so much time at the beginning of the message today to lay out the prophecy and the fulfillment and the prophecy and the fulfillment and the prophecy and the fulfillment through those 700 years of darkness for Israel was to underscore the fact that our God's in control. He raises up kings and He puts kings down. The Bible tells us that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and He turns it wherever He wants it to go like the course of water. Our God is in control. There is no other God like our God. The one who can call Cyrus king of Persia hundreds of years before he's ever conceived in his mother's womb. 
the one who can foretell the defeat of Israel by the hands of the Babylonians before the Babylonians were even a world power. Our God's in control. How do you maintain peace when your life is falling apart? You rest in the knowledge that your God is in control. He spoke the word and the heavens were hurled into, into place. Let there be light. Boom, there was light. We'll talk about that in another sermon. But a second thing you do is you cast your cares upon the Lord who is in control. You remember that God is in control. And then you remember that Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's with you in the storm. We serve one who is with us when the wind and the waves are blowing and a great tempest is threatening to, to capsize our ship. But the one who stood and said, peace be still, is still calming storms today. Can you say amen? The water walker is still saying, peace be still to the wind and to the waves, and they must obey him. Our God's power is incontestable. Incontestable. As Belshazzar was glorying in his own might, the Lord said, Today is the end of your kingdom. Today. When the children of Israel were struggling through Babylonian captivity, they recited the words of the prophets to each other. They remembered God's acts of deliverance in the past, and by faith they rested in God's promises for the future. Another thing that Isaiah told them before they went into captivity, by the will of God, to prepare them for those dark days ahead. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Because he trusts in you. Paul reiterated this concept in Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How many of you out there have experienced that in your life? Amen. I should see the hand of every white-haired person going up. <laughs> if you've lived long enough and you're a Christian, you've experienced it. When you've been in the dark night of the soul, and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And the only thing that is getting you through is that you know while you don't know what tomorrow holds, you know who holds tomorrow. And the one who holds tomorrow is holding your hand. Can you say amen? amen. I remember one time when Ann and I were in a hospital over in Portland, Oregon. God's faithful. God is faithful. We were sitting in the cafeteria getting lunch. My youngest daughter 
was in a six-hour brain surgery. And a nurse came to give us an update on her condition. And she, she told us what was going on and she said, how is it that you two can have such peace knowing that your daughter is hanging in the balance? We said, we've prayed for her. She's in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's given us peace. The doctor said that she would not live past a year old. Today she's 18 years old. For God said, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And when we walked out of the hospital, one of the doctors stopped us and said, you know you have a miracle here. <laughs> we said, yes, thank you. We know we have a miracle. For there's a God in heaven who hears and answers prayer. I don't know who I'm talking to today. You may be facing an impossible situation. It may be a doctor's report. It may be turmoil in your family. I don't know what's going on. But God does. Don't give up hope for the same Lord that gave His promises to His children all of those years ago. Today says to us, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can you say amen? amen. Our God is able. He's able. He's able to give us peace with Himself through the blood of His Son. He's able to give us peace of mind through the power of His Spirit. And He also gives us the ability to, number three, live at peace with others. Live at peace with others. Will you bring me a Kleenex or something? I'm just, I'm a mess up here today. I don't know what my problem is. <laughs> Thanks, babe. I don't care. I love him. I love him. He's faithful. He's precious. The older I get, the smaller my Christmas list gets. Because I realize the things that I need, I already have in him. And the things I need, you can't buy with money anyways. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Just take a minute. Just in your own words, tell Him you love Him. Lord, we do love you today. We give you praise and glory. We lift high your matchless name, for you are a wonderful counselor. You are mighty God. You are everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that even in the midst of a world that is still today is filled with conflict and chaos as it's ever been, you have given us peace. <laughs> your love and your word have broken through the darkness. 
and your great light has shined into our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Might need a little more, huh? <laughs> we have peace with God. We have peace of mind. And now we have peace with others. Peace with others. Now sometimes it's not possible to have peace with others, right? You do everything in your power. You can't do for others what they can only do for themselves. But the Bible says as much as it is up to you, live at peace with all men. As much as it is up to you. And I believe that Christians have a distinct advantage for living at peace with others. A distinct, an unfair advantage in living at peace with others. Why? Huh. <laughs> because we know what it means to be forgiven. That's why. You see, if you're truly a Christian, then you quit lying to yourself, didn't you? You quit fooling yourself and you said, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And you cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ and you said, Lord, remember me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And because you've experienced His grace and His forgiveness, now it's twice as easy to extend grace and forgiveness to other people who do you wrong. Why? Because you know what it means to receive forgiveness yourself. This is why the Lord taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. Every year, every summer, we like to go camping up in Michigan off of Lake Huron. And while we're there, we love to play in the water and swim in the water and water ski and jet ski and all that stuff. It's just wonderful. But you know, there's something very interesting about playing in the water. When you immerse yourself in water, you come up completely soaked. It's kind of bizarre. You come up dripping from head to toe, just like when you're baptized. You're immersed, right? Come up soaked. Likewise, when you are saved, when you take the plunge by faith into the grace of God, you come up soaked with His forgiveness. Soaked with His mercy. Soaked with His grace. And so now it's twice as easy to extend grace to those who have hurt you. To those who have offended you. Why? Because you know that you have offended the Most High and Holy God. And yet He's forgiven you. And so you say, well, if the holy and righteous Ancient of Days has forgiven me of my trespasses, who am I to stand in judgment against a brother or sister who has trespassed against me? For I am not the Holy One of Israel. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Now give me the strength to forgive my sister, to forgive my brother, to forgive the total stranger who doesn't even know you, because even that person was created in your image. When we plunge into the forgiveness of God, we come up soaked with His grace. Soaked with His grace. If we're unwilling to forgive others, either we haven't truly experienced God's grace ourselves and we need to get saved, 
or we have forgotten the grace that God has shown us. We've been saved for so long, we just forget how desperate and sinful our situation was. And sometimes we need to remember what he saved us from. Not to be condemned by that, but to be grateful. To rejoice and say, thank you, Lord, that you reached down and you raised me up from the muck and the mire of sin. He brought me out of the miry clay. He put my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my heart today, a song of praise. Hallelujah. So this Christmas season, let us remember, God is in control. He was with His people in their blessing and prosperity. He was with His people in their captivity and distress. God has sent the Savior, the Prince of Peace. And through Him, we have peace with God. Through Him, we have peace of mind. Through Him, we have peace with others. As we reflect on the peace we have through Christ, let us cast our cares on the Lord, resting in His peace, and then pursuing peace with others. Amen? Let's pray, shall we? Precious Lord, we thank You today for the gift of Your Word. We thank You for the gift of Your life poured out on our behalf. We thank You for the gift of Your Spirit that as You ascended to the right hand of the Father, You dispatched Your precious Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to illuminate the Word to our minds, to strengthen our arms and our hands for the journey. Today, Father, I pray that You would strengthen us and keep us on the firing line. Help us to be clothed in Your righteousness, fully girded with the armor of God, ready for the battle ahead. But even in the midst of the battle, as the bullets are flying, may our hearts be brimming over with a peace of God which surpasses understanding. And may that peace be a witness to this war-torn world to say, how is it that you can have peace in the midst of your circumstances? And we would say, well, let us introduce you now to one who is called the Prince of Peace. Thank you for your peace, Lord. Thank you for giving us peace with God. Thank you for giving us peace of mind. Thank you for giving us peace with each other. Lord, now as we prepare our hearts to give back to you a portion of that which you've richly blessed us with, we do so saying thank you for your peace. Receive now these offerings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give to the work of the Lord.